Good morning, Joy Church. Good to see you guys. Oh man, I love that. It cracks me up. Just in case you're not aware of what's going on, I think it's an Instagram filter that makes them look like they're crying. And uh, I'm not condescending to you. I actually didn't know that. Uh, I did know it when we made this video or when whoever made it made it, but uh, I didn't know that when Instagram filters first came out, I'd be like, what? There's a spider on my face. Because I have reached the age of technology overload. How many of you you know, I don't know, I, don't, I think it's somewhere between 35 and 40 years old, every man goes through uh, the second puberty, and they either have to get really into smoking meat or World War II history. <laughs> the other thing is that you start to realize you require younger generations to help you with technology. How many of you in your mid-30s are like, I relate to that. Now I have to have my children help me lock devices so they can't use them. <laughs> but, I, but I have to be like, well, but forget this code that I gave you, that I wrote down on this paper, you know. And uh, with, with remote controls and, and Xbox stuff, they'll be like, Dad, can you help us get this game started? And I'm like, I could sooner speak Chinese than that. I don't know how to do it. You guys are at that place. So with filters and all that, that's where I'm at as well. We are starting, or we've been in a series, just began last week called No Filter. How many of you have that friend, or you are that friend, who has no filter? on what you say. Come on, raise your hand if you're a no-filter person. Boom, 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 right? And people that actually have no filter are like, yeah, it's me. I'll say anything. You're like, maybe you should back that down a little bit. But uh, anyways, that's awesome. Raise your hand up. No-filter people, where are you at? Where are you at? Okay, yep. And uh, the world, we need you. We need the people that do filter. We need those that don't. But we're talking about, in this series, Jesus using no-filter and how he speaks to us, how he communicates to us. And uh, we'll dive into that in just a second. But as far as the people with no filter, there is a demographic on planet Earth that always exists, and they absolutely have no filter, and they're the worst, and that's children. <laughs> How many of you remember kids say the darndest things, right? And they are still saying them. You know, we always look back, we're like, when I was nine, I said this, it was cute. Now you'd, get, you'd go to jail if you said what you said when you were that little, but... My kids, you know, they just, they've always said things, and sometimes you're in a situation, they put you in a situation that you just, there's no college class to prepare you for this, there's no preparation. One time we're at a neighbor's house, and we're just trying to meet our neighbors, and, and, and we're, this is many years ago, I think we had just started Joy Church, and we're sitting there, and my daughter walks up, I'm kind of sitting on one of those plastic chairs, and how many of you that weigh more than 150 pounds are a little nervous in those, you know what I mean? I've taken those babies out, you know what I mean? Those plastic chairs. So I'm already worried about, you know, flattening their chair. I'm sitting there. My daughter comes up, points right between my legs, and she goes, my dad got hurt right there real bad. Uh, so I had to explain I had a vasectomy recently. How many of you know that's the icebreaker we all wanted to happen? So right there. I'm like, so... Does anybody else say way too much when you get embarrassed or nervous? This happens to me when I cross the border. So whenever we, because we do mission trips and things, and Bethany gives me the hardest time because we'll cross the border, whether it's crossing into Mexico or wherever we're going. And one time we were crossing into Canada. There's something about Canada. And if you're Canadian, God bless you, but relax, just relax. So this really awesome Canadian border agent, Mountie, you know, was there. And she's like, what are you doing in Canada? Why are you coming here? And I just, I'm like, uh. And I told her my entire life story. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I mean, my parents in the 80s, they planted a church. And then we planted a church. And we met these people. And da, 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 And they're like, 
We didn't need to know that, your life story. That's what happens to me. Um, another situation that happened with a kid having no filter was uh, back at our church in Medford. Uh, we had a, a little guy, I don't know how old he was at this time, maybe six, seven years old, had been in our wedding. And so Bethany was watching him in the lobby. And there was a, a guy that came to church at that time. And he was about 500 pounds. So he was he, he's a little, little bit overweight, let's say it that way. And uh, his belly would actually hang out of his shirt. And so one day he is, you know, breathing heavy because at 500, it's a little hard to get to the bathroom or whatever. So he's there leaning against this, this uh, counter. Bethany's there with this little guy, Johnny. And Johnny goes, hey, he's fat. <laughs> Just totally out loud. The man looks at Bethany. And Bethany's like, what do you want me to say? You know? So kids, man, no filter. You ever been in a situation like that with kids? Some of you are like, Jake, you should filter these stories more. Okay. If you didn't have a chance to listen to Bethany's message last week, it was fantastic. I was on the front row in tears, just moved by God. Totally incredible. So jump on YouTube and watch it. Because I actually believe, man, if you'll have an open heart and listen to what she said, it was just a powerful, a powerful message about Jesus not using filters and helping us to get rid of our filter so he can change us and lead us into the life that he has for us. Um, Jesus does not use filters. This is the thing that I love and hate about Jesus. Um, because it doesn't matter whether you voted Republican or Democrat, whether you are one side of the railroad tracks or another, whatever color you are, uh, Jesus is going to say some stuff to challenge you and move the needle in your life. And it might hurt your feelings. Um, oftentimes what we'll find is if we're on, honest with Jesus, that when he does say something that offends us or challenges us, whether it's right out of the scripture or through whatever happens in church life and as Jesus is speaking to us and working in us in Christian community and everything, um, the, the stuff that he says is actually for our good. But man, Jesus will just really open up. And uh, he doesn't just do it for shock value. He's not like your friend that's like, hey, let me tell you the worst joke you've ever heard that will literally make you turn red when you hear it. No, no, no. He's not, he doesn't just do things for shock value. He's not like a shock jock uh, radio guy or something. Jesus says things that are utterly, absolutely true. You ever heard the phrase brutally honest? It's interesting that we would attach brutality and honesty and that they would work so well together because it's the actual human experience when someone says something that is just true that oftentimes it feels kind of uncomfortable and at worst brutal, right? And I would say that Jesus is brutally honest, except for that would be, uh, that would be dishonest because Jesus isn't brutal. Actually, Jesus loves you very much uh, he, he has your best interest at heart. I like to say it this way, that Jesus has a vision for your life that far exceeds what you have. He just sees a much bigger picture. And so he's willing to tell us the truth to disabuse us of the notions that we know what's best for us or that we know what the path to fulfillment looks like. So he says things that challenge us wherever you are on the political spectrum, the socioeconomic spectrum. Jesus tells the truth. And when you read the, the New Testament and you read about Jesus, and if you will actually read through the New Testament as if you've never read it before, I've talked about this before in church, but apply a lens as you read through and just read all the words of Jesus and look at all of the massively offensive things that he says. This morning in my Bible reading plan, I was actually at the, in the passage where Jesus is talking to the Syrophoenician woman. How many of you know this story? And she says, I want you to heal my daughter. And he's like, Jesus is like, well, Jesus loves you, this I know. For the Bible, it's coming. Tells you so. You know, he, he doesn't do that. He actually says, actually, um, you need to wait your turn. Why? Well, because the bread is for the children. 
but the dogs get, the, and she says, well, the do- even the, not for the dogs. And she says, well, even the dogs get the crumbs. And then you read that and you're like, oh my gosh, that is so raw what Jesus said. First of all, it sounds kind of racist. Second of all, it, it's mean. But actually, what he was explaining and describing, there's something deep there. And I'm not going to go into that. I'm just going to leave that uncomfortable statement there. But she actually gets what she wants. She gets the truth. And Jesus is doing something bigger than even her personal story. And she chooses to do something really powerful. And this is going to blow your mind. Because it's actually possible. But in 2023, we just do not get it. She chooses not to be offended. I actually wasn't waiting for a clap. I just didn't know what to say next. So I just made that. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that you have this ability that if somebody says something or somebody does something, whether it's Jesus or your neighbor or whoever it is, you don't have to get offended. You can actually choose to go, hmm, I'll eat the fish and I'll spit out the bones. I'll listen to what's true. I'll throw away the lie and I'll get better instead of getting bitter or whatever. You know, I'm going I'm to not choose to get offended. But Jesus says some things in the scripture that do not sort of square with this 21st century view of Jesus that I think is even taught in church sometimes. Even in some of the songs that we sing in Christian church, you know, we sing songs and it, it's just singing about how obsessed Jesus is with you and with me. It's as if he's kind of like this star-crossed lover. He's like this boyfriend and he's, you know, he's like one of those Korean pop boys or whatever and he's singing songs to you and dance moves and it's, and and like you can't square this idea that Jesus actually will get up and just flat out challenge you and say you're wrong. And actually you need to change. Well, you, you, but I'm an introvert. Change. Well, I'm an extrovert. Change. But I'm a Myers-Briggs INFJ. Change. Be like me. <laughs> Go my direction. Don't do your thing. Do my thing. Oh, and by the way, my way is the only way that will lead you to life. And my way is the only way that will lead you to God. So Jesus is actually kind of polarizing. The real Jesus, the Jesus that actually has the ability to save your soul and lead you into God's kingdom is actually kind of offensive because he represents the fullness of God. You know, if, you, if your theology is sort of that God gets better when Jesus shows up on the scene, that he sort of becomes nicer and that Jesus is like a better version of God from the Old Testament, that is a totally wrong theology. The, the God we see in the Old Testament is the God that shows up in human flesh in the New Testament, and he's not here to invite himself to your party. He's here to invite you into his party, but there are rules, and there's, there's a new kingdom and a new law, a new people, a new language, a new heart motivation, and he doesn't even just want your behavior. He wants your motivations. We'll talk about that next week. But this Jesus, the real Jesus that we see in the scripture, he actually offended people. Just a couple of quick mountaintops on this. In John chapter 6, Jesus has done the miracle of multiplying the bread and that's a cool miracle because, man, when I go to restaurants, like I went to Italian food this week with some, some people and we, we sat down and the bread comes out. And how many of you just get a little excited when the bread comes out? <laughs> it's as if we've never seen bread before. You know, bread, I've never seen it before. When it comes out in an Italian restaurant, it's more anointed, you know, and it just comes out. A little bit of marinara sauce or Olive Garden, which I don't um, actually support Olive Garden, in case you're wondering, because I'm a real Italian. Um, <laughs> Olive Garden is like what Taco Bell is to a taco truck but for Italian food. If you know what I'm talking about, it's not real, you guys. Okay, anyways, some of you are, I'm offended. You can choose not to be. <laughs> I would go to Olive Garden if their food was good. Okay, moving on. 
Bethany's not here, so I can say whatever I want. In John chapter 6, Jesus is making bread, and he's multiplying bread, and people are like, this is awesome. This guy makes bread. He, he produces. And bread at this time wasn't just a snack. This was what they were going to eat. Like, he's actually feeding them lunch. And if you're at a subsistence level, that's kind of a big deal to hang out with the, the miracle bread maker, okay? And Jesus makes bread, and then they're like, well, where's the bread? And he goes, well, actually, no, I don't have bread for you today, but what I do have is you can eat my body and drink my blood, and they're like, oh, cool, is that, what does that mean? And he's like, that's what I'm saying. If you, ha- you have to go all in, and he's, he's explaining this. And it says in John 6 that many of his disciples, not his enemies, these are people that followed him, were offended. And it says they deserted him. They were confused by what he said. They didn't like how he phrased it. They felt offended that Jesus wasn't meeting their need. And they go, you know what? Uh, I'm out. And then Jesus turns to his 12 disciples and he goes, the 12 apostles, and he says, hey, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, Lord, where else would we go? Who else has the words of life? Jesus dealt with this through his entire ministry. In fact, as a pastor, I realized, man, I could give Jesus some tips and pointers on how to grow his church. Because like, if you say that you're gonna, people should eat you, that sort of doesn't bring people back for the next Sunday. You know what I mean? <laughs> But Jesus isn't asking me for advice, right? So I just, man, I have to keep following him, I guess. I guess that's what we'll do. But Jesus offends these people. Many disciples desert him. If you go to Matthew chapter 11, here's John the Baptist. John the Baptist is doing God's work. He's the greatest prophet that they've seen in generations. And he, he baptized Jesus and he gets put in prison. And he finds out that Jesus is healing people and preaching the gospel, preaching this message. And so he sends some of his disciples to Jesus. And he's like, ask Jesus if he's... If he's like, you know what we're all talking about, if he's the man, if he's the Messiah, is this, is this it? And Jesus says, well, why don't you go back and tell John, the blind see, the lame walk, the sick are healed. And then he says these words. He says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, unless you think Jesus just throws words out there to see what sticks, you need to look at this and, and realize something. Why does Jesus have to com- directly say, blessed is the person who's not offended because we're all going to get an opportunity to be offended by Jesus. And this is something that's hard to, to grasp because it's easy to not be offended at someone else's thing that they heard from Jesus that offended them. You know what I mean? Like if you're not greedy and you don't deal with money and the love of money doesn't have a hold of your heart and Jesus is like, you need to give all that you have to the poor. We're like, bring it on. I'm one of the poor, you know, <laughs> hook me up. And we, we love it when somebody else is offensive, when, when somebody else gets offended by Jesus and we're like, you need to get over it. But when Jesus comes to you and you happen to have a problem with lust and he's like, hey, it's not, not just that you don't have an affair, it's that God actually wants to deal with that root in your heart of lust. And you're like, oh, that hurts. And the person who has the love of money is like <laughs> clapping over there. You see, it's easy to not be offended for someone else when they're being offended by Jesus. But the deal is that he's going to, at some point in your life, if not already, offend you. In fact, he's going to offend you to the point where it's so offensive that you actually legitimately consider walking away. How silly do we have to be to think the people that we read about in the New Testament were so primitive and so, you know, so sort of two-dimensional that we don't realize they felt in that moment when they actually walked away from Jesus that they were doing the right thing. Bethany talked last week about the rich young ruler. And remember, he departed sorrowfully because he had many possessions. Jesus went right through his filters and said, here's the root of your heart. It's the love of money. So therefore, to, to deal with that, this is what you need to do. And he said, 
And in his heart, in his mind, he said, no, I can't do that. It's too high of a price to pay. There were people that were cheering for Jesus, crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, when he came in uh, to Jerusalem in Holy Week, but then were also crying, crucify him, crucify him seven days later. There is going to be a, a line in the sand in your relationship with Jesus Christ where you decide, I either follow, die to myself, give up my own way, and go all in with him, or I get offended and I take my place amongst the denizens of history that have said no to him. See, this is one of the things that we have to deal with in the 21st century is we love to have our cake and eat it too. And I love cake, somebody. Come on. Actually, don't. I'm a pie man myself. But anyways, I like to have my pie and eat it too. I like pie so much I even eat pie in other forms. Last night I went and got blueberry cheesecake, which I guess is a cake. Kind of a pie. But I got it in ice cream form at Tillamook. Come on. Yeah, feel the Holy Spirit right now. Not Tillamook, Lockmead, I'm sorry, Lockmead, that's the better dairy. That's our Eugene dairy right there. So you can say, is Joy Church sponsored by Lockmead and then not by Olive Garden? Is that what's going on here? <laughs> no, but I hope we do get sponsored by Lockmead. <laughs> You're going to get offended at some point. In the 21st century, we like to have our cake and eat it too. We like to say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. But what that actually means is that we, we kind of add Jesus to the thing we're already doing and we want the savior aspect of Jesus. We want the make my life better aspect of Jesus. We want the healer, but we don't want the king. We don't want the king who sits on a throne who says my way or the highway. Oh, by the way, I own the highway. We don't want that aspect of lordship. And so we create these false categories of what it means to be a Christian. But when you get close to Jesus... You can't get close to the fire without getting burned. He takes away these notions, these false ideas. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. In Matthew chapter 16, the context of this, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? What's the press release going out there? What is the, what's the word on the street? And they begin to tell him. And then Jesus asks the most challenging question that you'll ever hear and it's really the most important question you can ever answer. And he says, but who am I to you? Or who do you say that I am? Because if you say that he is the son of God, he's God, he died for my sins, he rose again. If you say that he is Jesus, if you say that he's the Messiah, like we talked about on Easter Sunday a couple weeks ago, it changes everything about how you need to live. But you, you can't have it halfway. You can't say, well, he's a great moral teacher or he was, he was one of the pathways to God. Jesus doesn't actually leave that option open to us. So Jesus asks his disciples, it's time to put up or shut up. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the Messiah. You are the son of God. These are all messianic and divine terms. And he says, Jesus, you're God. He's speaking the truth right back to Jesus. And Jesus says, well done, Simon. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but it's been revealed to you by my father. And I like to think about the disciples as always being in this sort of silly rivalry. So I'm sure Peter was like, <laughs> you know, he was a teacher's pet. And he's like, hey, James and John, you guys are called the sons of thunder because you fart. You know, whatever. Like, I mean, they were just talking about, you know, they had this rivalry going on. That's how you know men never mature, right? We just keep, everything's still funny to us. That was funny when we were eight and nine years old. Peter is the teacher's pet, but then Jesus absolutely roasts him like five minutes later, which is why this message is called When Jesus Claps Back. So right after Peter says, you're God, you're the son of God, nails it. Jesus gives him a pat on the head and a gold star. You know, he, he gets a good grade on his report card. 
It says in verse 21, but from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he'd be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and he began to reprimand him. Can you imagine taking Jesus aside? Jesus, come here and talk to you about something. You're like, do I do the compliment sandwich? You're like, I like the bread thing. I don't like what you're talking about right now. <laughs> Excited about the resurrection thing, you know? <laughs> How do you frame this? Peter takes Jesus Christ aside, and he begins to reprimand him. Whenever you feel bad about yourself, just read about Peter in the Bible. You'll be like, I'm doing good. <laughs> and he said, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. Now, why does Peter say this? And what's the big deal? Why is Peter offended? Why is Peter challenged by this? Well, you got to understand that they don't have the whole story written out for them like we do. So we know that Jesus dies on the cross, that he rises from the dead, and that he was building a kingdom that's not of this world, and that he was opening up life in God and and, an opportunity to be a part of God's kingdom, both now and in the future, forever, to all people. He was redeeming the entire world. And how many of you that aren't ethnically Jewish or nationally Israeli are excited that we get to be grafted into the olive tree of God's kingdom, right? As the scripture says, for two reasons. One, I'm excited to go to heaven. Two, I'm excited to eat bacon when I get there. Come on. And on the way, a lot of it. And if you eat a lot, you get there faster, right? So I'm excited that that I'm brought in. But Peter doesn't understand this. What Peter understands in all of these Jewish men that are Jesus' disciples, and they're actually very young men too, is their entire life they've been told, At some point, the Messiah is going to come. He's going to kick the Romans' butt. He's going to take down the evil empire. It's like a Star Wars story, right? He's going to kill Darth Vader. Uh, He's going to sit on the throne. And and if you're with him and he rises in glory, you're going to be sitting next to him. So when Jesus gets that sweet throne and that sweet diamond grill, you know, you're going to get one too. Jesus gets a brand new Lamborghini, you're going to get a Mustang. You know, like you're not going to be Jesus, but you're going to get some cool stuff. And Peter, his star is attached to Jesus. And so he's offended because Jesus is like, you know, everything you've laid your entire fishing business down for and you followed me for the past few years, everything that you thought that was going to look like, it's actually going to get pretty bad. Imagine somebody got you into an investment and they're like, you know, look, you can make a good return on your money. You're going you're gonna to get on the ground floor, you know, whatever. And then you get to where the payout's supposed to come. And then they're like, you know what? unfortunately, it all went down. How many of you know that's not a good day? That's what's happening for Peter. And so he's not, he's not, he doesn't care necessarily. That's not the fullness of what's happening here. It's not that he's just expressing concern for his friend Jesus. He's worried about himself. And so he dangles before Jesus the greatest temptation that Jesus actually faces which we see in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus asks the Father, would you take this cup from me Because he's nervous, pretty scared, so scared that he would cry blood to go through the absolute agony and excruciation, literally excruce out of the cross, the experience of the cross. So Peter, operating in a natural mind, says, that's not going to happen. It's never going to happen, Lord. And this is where Jesus claps back. And he says, get away from me, Satan. If Jesus calls you Satan, that's a bad day at the Christian office, you know? (laughs) It just, it doesn't feel good. He says, you are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. 
And then Jesus said to his disciples, and it's in this context that we get one of the seminal teachings from Jesus Christ's own mouth that's extremely offensive about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, and I want you to just understand this. Peter just said, you're not going to go to the cross. And Jesus says, get away from me, devil. Let me tell you exactly what it looks like to be on team Jesus. And he says, if you want to be my follower, you must do this. Three things. You must give up your own way. You must take up your cross and you must follow me. And he says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Jesus is always drawing a line in the sand, letting us know there are different pathways in life. And you can pursue your own way, you can do your own thing, or you can lay it all down and go after him. And as we're going to see in just a second, one of those ways looks like things are going to turn out well. The other looks pretty hard, but there's a paradox involved because in the kingdom of God, in kingdom economics, when you lay your life down, you actually find it. When you lay your life down in service to Jesus, and by extension, in service to other people, you actually find the satisfaction and fulfillment you were looking for when you were putting yourself first. And so Jesus begins to open up the paradox of what it means to be a follower, and he gives us these three things. Number one, give up your own way. We live in a culture that loves to do things our own way. It's fascinating to me because I'll talk to people and they'll say, Pastor, could you give me some counsel about a particular thing? And if it's a clearly biblical issue, and it's a clear moral or ethical issue, I'll just say, well, flat out, this is the right way to go. And they'll be like, oh, that's an interesting perspective. And I'm like, well, that's actually Jesus' words. So I don't see that as a perspective. I would see that as like Jesus said, don't cheat on your wife. <laughs> well, you know, but, but I, no, 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 like there's no but. There's a new, but, 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 but there's no but. Like Jesus said this. It's not Jake. Jesus said it. So it's not unclear. Oh, I'm just, I need to get a second opinion. From who? You know, you stand before God. Nope, you didn't make it. Well, I need to get a second opinion. I mean, who are you going to get it from? The devil's like, ah, you know, you're not getting it from him. Just some thoughts there. So we live in a culture that loves to have our own way. But it says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, there's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. In other words, man, that road looks nice, looks good. Uh, Jesus says, broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. The way of Jesus on the surface level doesn't appeal to me a whole lot. Especially when we get to this next part where it says, give up your own way, and then it says, take up your cross. That doesn't appeal to me a, a whole lot. But he says, but the end of the path is actually worth it. In other words, the ride might be a little bumpy, but the result is good. You can take a nice smooth path, but the end result is eternal destruction when I was uh, about 11 or 12 years old, I began to get into playing the piano, and I asked my mom, who's a really accomplished piano player, to show me some stuff. And because I was a drummer at that point, uh, I just, you know, like animal from Muppet Babies or whatever, I, I didn't have the dexterity and things, and so it was easier for me to play piano chords with these three fingers, like the trident. Uh, and if you play the piano, that's not correct. This is how a sloth would play the piano, a three-toed sloth or a ninja turtle. You know what I mean? Ninja, teenage mutant. That's funnier than you're giving me credit for because turtles, three, anyways. It's okay. I'm wasted on some people. It's okay. It's all right. So I was playing chords like a three-toed sloth and my mom's like, oh, that's not correct. And I was like, well, yeah, but I mean, Mary had a little lamb, Michael McDonald style, you know? 
She came from somewhere back in long ago. And she's like, yeah, but that's wrong. And, and I'm like, mom, I'm playing good. And she's like, yeah, that sounds good, hon. But you have five fingers and you're supposed to use all five. And if you play the chords the right way, you can actually advance and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, nah, nah, nah. And I, did, I wanted to do it my way, okay? About a year into playing the piano, I start to play some other pieces of music and want to write some songs. And I realized <gasps> what we all know is that your mom's right, right? All the time, about everything. Mom was right. And I couldn't do it. And here's what was bad about that. Not only could I not advance, I actually had to go back. You ever play the game Shoots and Ladders? That is like the only thing you need to do with your children. And you will have perfectly raised children. I'm just saying. Read the Bible to them. Shoots and Ladders. Everything in life is in that game Shoots and Ladders. You eat too much candy? Shoot. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? Are you guys with me today? Have I had too much coffee? What is going on? I'm having an absolute blast here. Okay. Not only could I not advance, I took the shoot. I had to go all the way back to the beginning and relearn from Mary had a little lamb how to do it the right way. When Jesus says, stop thinking, you know better than me. Who was there when you were fearfully and wonderfully made? And I wired you and I said, this is how your life works. And we're like, I'll do it my way. It's ignorant, but it's also destructive. And it will also rob you of future joy that you can't even perceive of yet. I had to go all the way back. Here's the thing about Jesus. He says, hey, come my direction. I'm going to carve a path for you. I'm going to show you how to live. Walk in my way. But here's the other thing about Jesus is not only does he have his way, it is the only way to God. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. His disciple Thomas says, well, how do we know the way? How do we get there? And Jesus says this in John 14, 6, which again is a tremendously offensive statement unless you believe Jesus is the only way to God. He says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Nobody. There's no other gate. Jesus calls himself in another passage the doorway by which you enter the sheepfold. He is the path to life. These metaphors and analogies, these pictures of Jesus are giving us what is reflective of the actual reality of the spiritual world and what salvation and fulfillment looks like. He's the only way to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Jesus tells us to give up our own way and to follow him. The second thing that he says is that we would take up our cross. Now, we know the cross is a, is a torture device, an execution device. It's the implement of death the Romans would use. And Jesus' disciples were very familiar with this. They would be walking down the streets on the way out of Jerusalem, and the Romans would take the person they wanted to shame, and they'd hang them on crosses. So they weren't thinking of this metaphorically, they understood what a cross was. And Jesus uses this picture to give an indication of what the spiritual life of a believer will look like on a day-to-day -day basis. You've got to wake up and go, it's time to die. <laughs> being a Christian is a lot more like being a gladiator than one of those Korean K-pop boys, you know, singing about how much Jesus loves me. Being a Christian is like every day you are in a literal fight to the death with yourself. One time I had a dream. And I was in my dream, I was like being choked. I couldn't breathe. Oh, I was like in my dream. It was a terrible nightmare. And I woke up and I was sleeping on my own hand. <laughs> we have gone looking for the beast and we have found him in the mirror. You know, it was, we found our enemy every day. You're told in our culture, everything's about how you need to love yourself. Love yourself. And like, yeah, there's an element of not letting shame and guilt overwhelm your capacity to even live your life. 
But the way of Jesus is so much better. It says, like, stop loving yourself. Love God and let him make you something worth loving. Man, I could preach about that a lot. Jesus says, wake up. You're going to have to die to yourself. Galatians 5, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 8, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Is this a gospel of works that we can do the mortification of the flesh on our own? No, it requires the Holy Spirit. And aren't you grateful that Jesus doesn't give you the entire list of all of your sinfulness at one time to work on? Could you imagine if he was like, here's every sin you'll ever commit that I'll have to forgive you for. And here's your list. And it's like a dictionary, you know. And you go, man, I feel a little overwhelmed. You know what the Holy Spirit does is he comes to us day by day, and he says, child, I want to help you take the next step. But there is this element of death where we, where we say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die to what I want. One of the things that I try to convey to my children is that because we believe in the Christian worldview that we, number one, there is a God. Number two, he created everything. Number three, he gets to make the rules because he owns and created everything. Um, and number four, that there's actually purpose and meaning and life in that when you believe in that. Because we believe in the Christian worldview, we don't just give in to every urge and surge of our flesh, of our bone and blood and biology, because we are not animals. We are human beings made in the image of God. We are the possessors of the imago Dei. And we actually have a piece of us that is a higher order being, the ability to think and reason and do things that are altruistic and for the good of others and also say no to our own desires in the short term that we may obtain that which is a higher order good, that which God has for us in eternity, but also in our own lives so that we become the person that he made us to be all along. So we're not animals. It's interesting as, as our world, our culture specifically, rejects the truth of Christ and rejects the law of God we are becoming more and more like animals. The things that we're doing is playing out the, the, the sequence that you see in Romans chapter 1. Rejecting God, the knowledge of God, they begin to give themselves up to uncleanness. And we begin to do grosser and grosser and more animal-like things. And it's not to be mean to people who are acting that way. It's to say you're forgetting that you're made in the image of God. And so as a Christian, we go, you know what? I don't have to do what my urges and surges are compelling me to do right now. I think I'm going to find fulfillment, but I'm actually going to find death. So therefore, I'm going to crucify my flesh. I'm going to say no to lust. I'm going to say no to gluttony. I'm going to say no to those things, not in my own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, and die to myself that I can live with Christ. And do number three, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. It's interesting because many People that are allegedly followers of Jesus, and I'm speaking to myself here, or attempting to follow Jesus, what we actually end up doing is we try to get Jesus to follow us. We use the name of Jesus to support our agenda, whether that's political or social or whatever. Uh, we use Jesus. We want him to make our life better. We ask for his blessing, but we don't want his kingship. It's like we want the seal of the king's approval, but we don't want the, 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 the spank of the king's <laughs> rod when he's saying, hey, you're off, you're off track here. But to follow Jesus means to take a subservient position, to get behind him so you can follow and walk in his footsteps. means knowing where he's going and why he's going there and walking in his footsteps. And this pattern is clear that Jesus gives us. It's 
rejecting our own way. So number one, I'm saying I'm not following the path of Jake. I'm following the path of Jesus. Number two, taking the sinful thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors that plague me and you every day of our lives, taking them to the cross, and consciously surrendering to the Holy Spirit each day that I may walk with Jesus. What's interesting is in this passage, the word follow, it actually means to accompany. And so what Jesus is inviting his disciples to do is not just to take a subservient position. He's actually inviting you and I and them to walk with him where he's going. And where is he going? He goes to prepare a place for us. He's going to make all things new. He's going to make all things right. He's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. He's going to fix our broken sexuality. Whether you're straight, gay, or confused, or whatever you are, isn't it, isn't it awesome that we get to serve a Savior that's going to fix what's broken? We get to serve a Savior that's going to heal depression. We serve a Savior that's going to end cancer and all diseases and sicknesses. He's making all things new, and you get to be a part, and he wants you to walk with him. And this is where the cool thing is. This is where the paradox is. Because we think, well, if I do my own thing, I'll be more happy. If I follow Jesus, it's like death every day. Well, actually, in the death and dying every day, there's resurrection life that comes on the other side of a tomb. And you begin to encounter the goodness of God in a new and a fresh way. And you're called to be close to Jesus. And as we walk with him, as we follow him, as we accompany him on his journey through life and as he leads us in life, that internal alignment leads to external transformation. When we're with Jesus, be with him, that's how we can then do stuff for him and through him and by him. This is the, one of the coolest things about Jesus is that his love is kind of ruthless, like that brutal honesty. He claps back because he loves you enough to do it. The thing that you can get over if somebody's harsh to you or mean to you and you don't like their bedside manner, that's one thing. But if they're telling you the truth and they have your benefit in mind, that is, that's quite another. But what we can't handle is the indifference. And I want you to think about a world that many people live in every single day. When they wake up without Christ and they shout their fears and their desperations into the ether. And what do they get back but a cold, indifferent, material universe with no voice, no care, no path, and no hope. I'm glad to hear the voice of Jesus say, not that way, son. But I'm here with you and I'm going to help you walk with me. And we're going somewhere. Peter was thinking from a merely point of view. He was worried about his own fate. And Jesus says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you lay your life down for my sake, you will save it. What benefit do you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? The words of Jesus are not just to save your body from the flames of hell and bring you to heaven. Amen. We're grateful for that. But he actually wants to redeem your soul. The mind, the will, and the emotions, and recreate and actually give you something good. He wants to give you that life and life more abundantly. It's interesting that as Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, it matches really well to what he tells us to do as followers of Jesus. If he is the way, that means I can't follow my own way. If he is the truth, that means I don't get to make up the rules. I got to follow God's rules, and I got to die to myself and third, if he is the life, that means that when I think that I've found life and fulfillment and satisfaction in sin and going my own way, it's an illusion. It's the fleeting pleasures of sin, as the scripture says, and the real life, the life of God, life eternal, both the quantity, which means it lasts forever, but also the quality, the qualitative nature of the life that Jesus promises. In that scripture, it's the word zoe in Greek. It means God's type of life. That's the kind of life that he offers us. It's what Jesus talks about when he says, the thief came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I came that you may have life and life 
more abundantly. It's that zoe, abundant, over, overcoming type of a life. That's the kind of life we find when we lay our life down for Christ. Aren't you grateful we have a Savior that uses no filter and he tells us this is what you need to do. Two things today, and then we're going to go eat some good food. If you'd bow your head, not Olive Garden, no. If you bow your head, close your eyes. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, then maybe you just need to get back on path. And you know, this isn't something that you do by sheer dent of your willpower. This is something that you open yourself to the Holy Spirit and say, I humble myself. Jesus, I want to hear your voice and I want to follow you. And the cool thing is, you're not a failure. You might be listening to the voice of the enemy say, Jesus is mad at you, he's disappointed in you, and you're a failure. No. Something I think about when I get off the path a little bit is that God is not surprised. He knew that on this day, I would be exactly where I am right now. So as good as I felt about my Christianity two weeks ago, and as bad as I feel about it today, Jesus is not surprised. And his mercy and his grace and his call to you is ever lasting and faithful. Scripture says that even when we are unfaithful, he's faithful for he can't deny himself. And the faithfulness of God calls you back, calls you to repentance, to change your mind and say, I'm back. Jesus, I'm back. I, I try to get saved and I say that in a careful way because it's not that I'm losing my salvation, but I try to get saved every week. Like I try to get a fresh revelation of Jesus every day that I'm not saved by my works. And if you're here and you go, I'm a follower, but I'm off the path or I'm, I'm not where I feel that I need to be in my walk with him, let's get back on the path right now. Jesus, we humble ourselves. We respond. We open ourselves to you. We want to be on the path following you. Pray that you would show us the next step, not all the steps, the next step. What needs to die? What needs to live? How do we follow you and be faithful to you? Jesus, I thank you for every one of these sons and daughters. We're not saved because we're good at walking on the path. We're saved because of what you did at the cross and of your faithfulness to us. So Lord, we turn our hearts to you today in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to take this opportunity to invite you to be part of his family. God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins and for mine, the sins of the world. And he made a way for us only one way, it's through Jesus Christ, to be reconciled to God, to be made right. Not just right for the moment, but right for eternity, right with God. And so if you're here today and you say, Pastor Jake, I want to put my faith in Jesus and receive him as both my Lord, the King of my life, and the Savior of my soul, would you raise your hand up so I can see? And I'm going to pray with you today. Just lift it up. Thank you so much. Awesome. Come on, anybody else? Awesome. 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 Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Man, praise God. Awesome. Anybody else? Let's pray this prayer together. We're all going to pray it with you. Dear Jesus, I give you my life, all the good and all the bad. I thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me right with God. I put my trust and faith in you and in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.